Well, Holy Spirit, as always, we love our dependency upon You for revelation, to see, to live everything. Uh, You point us to Jesus. And Your Word directly points. You spoke to the church people of Your day, Lord, and You said, you guys read the Scriptures as if it's going to give you eternal life. But He says, all of those Scriptures point to Me. And we just say our hearts point to You, our minds to You. We're just open to You, Lord, to to speak to us uh, however You'd like to. We love You, Lord. Thank You for Your Word. Amen. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to start today with an introduction to Luke's Gospel. And we're planning... Uh, to continue on a series here uh, with Luke's account of Christ's birth uh, starting here in this season of Advent. Advent meaning coming or arrival. And of course, we celebrate Christmas because of the birth of Jesus. And, uh, and then we're going to conclude somewhere in April, I believe. Uh, actually, the, the 20th of April, which is Easter, we'll conclude this series. In uh, with the crucifixion and resurrection emphasis there in chapters 22 through 24. And I was looking online at some different pastors who have attempted a series like this. A year or so ago, I saw a pastor who concluded a three-year uh, walk through the Gospel of Luke. Three years. Uh, my sister-in-law down in California uh, their pastor just finished recently a nine-year series. Not on the Gospel of Luke, but something about just something small like the life of Jesus or something like that. <laughs> Nevertheless, uh, those series can go on. We're going to try and do it in about 18 weeks. 18 times together. It's about 20 weeks between now and then, but we're going to try and do that because we are anticipating possibly some interruptions with Uh, stopping for a moment to focus on something that Holy Spirit wants to do. And, uh, but uh, I'm excited about this uh, to, uh, this is not going to be a verse by verse. We, there's no way to do it. There's a reason why it takes, you know, different ones, three years and a hundred different sessions to be able to go through it. Uh, But we're going to do it in 18 weeks and more of a skipping across the top and hitting some of the big ideas uh, involved that Luke brings out. And so um, I've never done this before. And of course, we've only been in existence for uh, under a year now. So this will be exciting. I'm, I'm really grateful for the opportunity. And I believe God is going to give us some wonderful things in it. And... So we, we, just as an introduction, we see the Old Testament through prophets and, and different voices that God speaks through. Uh, the Old Testament is constantly proclaiming that someone is coming. Someone is coming for thousands of years. Someone is coming. He's close. And then another thousand years goes by and nobody sees anything. He's close. And, but... This coming and, and, and uh, this anticipation, coming to set things right, coming to turn things around, coming to find and rescue that which is lost, coming to set captives free. 
And here we are in the New Testament, in particular Luke's Gospel, and the answer is, this is who He is. He's here. He's arrived. He's on the scene. And so Luke is going to give us this jumping off place into the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Many of these stories have been heard in a Sunday morning context. You're going to hear familiar uh, passages, familiar verses that have been read. Uh, but uh, we're going to be going through and, and looking at all these things uh, chronologically as Luke lays them out. And one big aspect of this in Luke's Gospel that's very important, it's imperative that we all eventually answer this question that pops up in Luke 9, verse 20. Who do you say that I am? And he's asking his disciples. That wasn't just a pitch to the crowd or anything, but he says this to the closest people to him, relationally. Who do you say that I am? I believe this is a journey of discovery. For us to be able to learn more about who He is, but also to learn about where we're at in relationship to Him. If you're like me, I've been sitting in pews and chairs listening to messages since I was born. I, I, you know, I joke that I was born on the pew, pastor's kid, grown up in that context. And you hear those things enough, they become so familiar to you that you just they stop impacting you. You sing enough songs about a certain topic like we do about the blood of Jesus and all that, and it could just be kind of, you know, yeah, blood of Jesus, that was really neat what He did. Good job, Jesus. You know, and we become this kind of going through the motions cheerleader crowd as opposed to able to be impacted continually over and over again by the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The Gospel of Jesus Christ is not looking to make converts or Christians. Jesus' goal from the very beginning was to, right away when He would meet people, when He would call people to Himself, He was about converting disciples. Followers of Him, not just hearers of the Word. And He took... Man, he jumped on people, you know, when they would just hear the word, but it didn't impact them in terms of the life that would, would actually translate to action. Movement. In other words, he's saying, follow me, come follow me. And we're going, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right behind you. And we're not moving. Our heart's not moving. Our heart's not being drawn. Our minds are not being changed. And we reflect culture more than we reflect, or we reflect religion more than we reflect Him, and what it looks like to follow Him. I don't know if you guys saw uh, the cover of Life magazine. Who's on the cover of Life magazine right now? Jesus. Question down at the bottom Who do you say that I am? Jesus is asking a question. Now, we decided the. Uh, I decided to do this, you know, this loose gospel thing a while ago, and then I was walking through Fred Meyer the other day, getting something, and I'm, and I go, wow, I, Jesus, I think you're confirming something. Maybe we're on the right track. And uh, but this is the 
ultimate question from a biblical perspective, from a life, from a, from a, 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 a now t- perspective and an eternal perspective, this is the most important question posed to mankind. And he pitched it to his boys who were following him the best that they could. The ones closest to him. And he pitches that same question to us. One's answer to this question is everything. Everything. Is he a revered prophet? Is that the extent of who you say that he is? Is he a self-help program? To many, that's what he really is. The Bible becomes a self-help program. We get up in the morning, we rub the rabbit's foot together for good luck. And basically, if we you know, had our morning devotion time, that would basically kind of determine whether or not we're going to have a good day or not. If we didn't, it's like, oh, today's going to be horrible. I didn't read the Bible. Is that taking anything away from reading the Bible? Of course not. But this is not a self-help program. This is a relationship. Walking together with Him. Is He a higher power for you? Is He your weekend fix? In focusing on Jesus, the Creator of all things, uh, He's kind of got this thing where He thinks He can speak into His created beings what they should and shouldn't do, and who they are and who they're called to be, He has something to say. And uh, there's whenever you're around Jesus long enough, you're going to find out that uh, He has some pretty difficult things, pretty challenging things that He wants to say to us. In his, any of the Gospels that you're going to get into, when you start talking about the red letter stuff, the stuff that Jesus is talking about, He's going to hit some difficult topics. We're going to hit some difficult topics together. Some of you are going to sit there and you're going to learn from these various things that Jesus is talking about. Others, like myself, and uh, you're going to resemble the things that He's talking about. In other words, you're going to need Jesus, Holy Spirit, to give you a fresh perspective on His grace. Because otherwise, when Jesus starts talking, many people that He addressed and when He was drawing lines and He was you know, laying out the plumb line, here's how life is going to be lived. Here's the owner's manual. I created you. I designed you. I know how you're supposed to live. And, and He continually derailed people because they couldn't stay in the game in terms of what He was challenging them with. Jesus is going to address the human spectrum. He's going to address our greatest fears. He's going to address our greatest failures. And He's going to address them in grace and forgiveness. He declares Himself the answer, the healer, and the forgiver. That's our starting point. As we said, we always live our lives from grace, not toward grace. It's, it's what He's already given us. If we're in Christ, that is the greatest gift that He's giving us. Himself.
The seed of the Gospel is a picture of the seed of salvation going into the spirit of man where God's Holy Spirit produces and enlarges Christ in our lives. Think about Mary. She was uh, impregnated by the Holy Spirit. That's some tough stuff to get our minds around. And the seed of the Gospel, when Jesus comes in, it's a picture for us of coming into our lives just as a baby begins to grow. In this time of Advent, such an appropriate time. I love the timing of just how God does things. But um, this time of Advent where, you know, you're familiar with the, with the Christmas carols, you know, every heart prepare Him room. Prepare Him room for Him to enlarge Himself in us, to grow Himself in us, to impregnate us to a greater dimension with His heart. We're going to pick up the action here next week with this birth like no other. What precedes birth? Pregnancy. Pregnancy. (laughs) Yes, that too, Dean. Thank you. (laughs) And what happens in pregnancy, this, this enlarging, this beautiful process takes place. We've got a number of gals in, the, in here that are, are pregnant right now. These, these moms where these babies are growing within them. You know, and I tell them, it's like, you're a, you're a mom now. You're a dad now. It's, it doesn't happen at birth. This, this child growing within you. You know, and pregnancy is an advent. We're in the season of advent. Pregnancy is an advent. It's an advertisement it's an announcement that someone is about to arrive. That's very cool. That's very cool. We've been through this process a few times, haven't we, babe? Yeah. It's so good. There's an excitement. There's an anticipation. It's often said, you know, about a woman who's pregnant, she starts doing crazy things. She does things like what they call nesting. You know, getting ready. She's what? She's preparing room. She's enlarging, uh, you know, and, and getting ready. And she's, you know, doing stuff. And, you know, the, the husband's walking around going, what is going on? I think she's lost her mind. But she's preparing. She's getting ready. We're going to find in Luke's Gospel that most everyone leading up to the birth of Christ didn't prepare for His arrival. They didn't even know He was coming. There's a few, you know, specific ones that angels showed up for and, you know, helped them to see the things that they needed to see. Different ones were following a trail historically that they had followed of writings. And, and, uh, but for the most part, nobody had a clue. This is a reminder also. His first coming is a reminder for us of His second coming that He promises are we preparing? Are we expecting? Are we living life business as usual? How we answer that question, who do you say that I am, based on Jesus' first coming, will determine how Jesus will receive us at His second coming. Yeah, I know we sit here, we sit here and we're thinking, I, I got the golden ticket, you know, I prayed that sinner's prayer, and, and we're good to go. Many pastors, uh, a number of pastors, pastors that I've, I've looked at and read 
you know, some of their things. And, the, and these are prominent pastors in America and other places. 25,000 member churches. And here they are saying, I would, he, they would, he, I, I would estimate, if I can get the words out, I would estimate that probably half of my congregation isn't even born again. That they will not be in eternity. We play games, we think these things in our mind, and we just go, you know what? I've done these few little things, but what we've done doesn't equate biblically or Jesusly to actual salvation. Who do you say that He is? Advent is not an event, Advent is a lifestyle, it's a posture for living. A pregnant woman, so I've heard, is forced to live in expectation. Right? You can't get away from this. Your belly increasing in size. Your womb growing. The husband can go along with his you know, life and other people around him, but it's like this constant announcement, advertisement, advent. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. Basically, a pregnant woman knows more than anything how this analogy works in terms of expectation looking forward. So, what is this going to look like? Is this going to be just a boring study about whatever? I would say no. Buckle up. Because I've been looking ahead at what the story says. I would encourage you to do so as well. I would encourage you over the next 18, 20 weeks or so to dive into the Gospel of Luke. Be going through it with us as we're, as we're doing this together. Go deeper than just the, you know, maybe uh, your, depending on what your study of the Bible is, maybe you just kind of open up your Bible in the morning and just kind of, you know, pick a place or, or whatever. But I would encourage you to dive into more of a systematic study of God's Word. I think that my, my hope is that it would ignite a passion for that. So, who is this masked man known as Luke? Luke was from Antioch. And Luke is, is obviously the author of the Gospel of Luke. And he also follows that up with the sequel, uh, which is the book of Acts. Did everybody know that? Of course you did, right? Yes, biblical scholars that you are. No, but that's an important thing. He, he starts with his gospel that he writes and then he follows it up with the book of Acts. So we have him capturing the first coming of Christ and then we have the events that follow Christ's ascension. Luke proclaims that Jesus is the Messiah that the Jews have been waiting for and the Savior of all mankind. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all have a different angle that they take. And there's a reason why we're going with Luke on this one. Not that it's necessarily better. It's just what God has ordered up. Luke may have been the only Gentile writer in the New Testament. What is a Gentile? Gentile is someone who's not a Jew. Okay, So he was a Greek. Luke would go on to become a close companion of the Apostle Paul. Uh, based upon his style of writing, Luke, we would say, is probably the most cultured of the Gospel writers. 
uh, although he was not one of the 12 disciples, interestingly enough. So he did not have first-hand accounts, whereas John, uh, Matthew, who, who, who walked with Jesus while he was on the earth, would have first-hand knowledge of what happened. Luke would use testimonies of other people's stories and research that he would do in order to gain uh, his account of this. Many would know he's a medical doctor. He has an interesting perspective on things that other people wouldn't because of his knowledge. He was a man of science, and this is going to influence his writing and certainly the direction of his faith. Which is interesting to think about. How does our profession affect our faith? How does your work affect your faith? Maybe more importantly, how does your faith affect your work? Does work stay here? Do you check it out the door on the way out? Do you check it out the door when you arrive at your work? By faith here we mean our fundamental system or view of philosophy on a particular thing. Remember, we always need to keep this in mind. All human beings have faith. Many claim to not have faith, but basically what they're saying is, I don't have faith in God or Jesus Christ. But we all have faith in something or someone. The issue is who or what. Just like we talk about all humans are worshipers. We were created to be worship. We don't just do worship, and we're not just talking about this. All of life is worship. We are constantly, continually, in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, we are worshiping. We're glorifying someone or something. The issue is, what is the object of our worship? There are plenty of gods being offered up by our culture. Who do we worship? Who was Luke's audience? To whom was he writing? Uh, he was primarily writing to the Gentiles and uh, the, the non-Jews. Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man. The perfect man who is truly interested in every person on earth, regardless of their gender, their social status, or ethnicity. And you can understand, again, based upon his profession, why he's going to emphasize the humanness of who God is. He's going to describe things, you know, anatomically, and, and uh, he's going to approach things more from a, a calculated, something that would represent more of the Greek mind. It would appeal to them uh, more in that way. The gospel, his gospel purpose was to present Jesus of Nazareth as the anointed perfect man who after a perfect ministry provided a perfect salvation for sinful humanity. The perfect man, the perfect ministry, and the perfect salvation for mankind. The message of his gospel 
is that all preaching of the Gospel in Jesus, we're going to see in chapter 4, Jesus is going to demonstrate this, that all ministry, all preaching of the Gospel, all living out of the Gospel must be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, these things that He's calling us to, that He called those people at that time to, was impossible apart from the Holy Spirit. He was God's ideal man. To be perfected. It was His own Son. I love this verse in chapter 19, verse 9 and 10, and Jesus is interacting with Zacchaeus. And He says, Jesus says, And I, the Son of Man, have come to seek and save those like Him who are lost. Of course, at that time, we remember the story, you know, that we'll get to eventually. People couldn't figure out why Jesus would give this guy the time of day. I mean, this was the low life. And yet, Jesus highlighted him and gave him value. A couple of things that, what distinguishes Luke's gospel? How is it different from some of the other ones? Luke's gospel had a very universal appeal especially to the Gentiles. This was that, that uh, comprehensive, logical, and orderly Greek mind that they were going after. It represents much of us. That's what our education system in the universities and stuff is based upon. Portions of his uh, account approach classical Greek literature. I think that's really cool. It's been said that the Gospel of Luke is the most beautiful book ever written. Of its kind. Where Matthew would go back and tie Christ's lineage back to King David because his audience was Jewish, Luke traces roots that reach back to Adam. The original Son of Man. And, of course, Jesus would be referred to as, by Paul as the second Adam. This is the most comprehensive Gospel of all the four. Luke majors on Jesus' relationships with people. And Luke goes to great lengths to document Jesus reaching out and placing value on certain demographics of people. People that are in great need of being valued. I love this because as, as Jesus enters time and space and in, infuses, God infuses Him into planet Earth, um, he, he comes into a context, a, a time in history that um, in some ways is very different from ours, in some ways very much resembles and Luke's emphasis, he's going to emphasize a few different demographics of people that Jesus interacts with that people just thread thrown to the wayside. They weren't valued. For instance, children. Think about right before Jesus' birth. I mean, you have these depictions of, hey, let the children come to me. Children were kind of in that culture just, you know, cast aside. They were, you know, they hadn't matured. They, there wasn't a lot of value on them. And you see, just prior to the birth of Jesus, what took place? There was an evil ruler at that time who did something. What did he do? Yeah, he was trying to take this king, this Messiah out. 
And so he tried to, he attempted to do so by killing all the young uh, baby boys. Not the first, but a significant demonstration of infanticide in that time. Our world does not want to share rulership and control of their lives with anyone. There is a rejection of lordship. As benevolent lordship as, our, as Jesus is, our world doesn't want to share control with anyone. If you really get down to it, our flesh, our, the part of us that is still being you know, redeemed, sanctified over time as, we, as Christ enlarges Himself in us, we don't like that either. In any culture, look at where the, the attack is being focused. Where's the attack raging? This will often reveal where God is going to bring His form of deliverance. We, we saw this with Moses. Moses is being born. Children, what's going on? The children are being exterminated. Out of that attack, that focal attack came the Deliverer for a nation. We see this again with Jesus right before His birth. A significant attack takes place. And so if we can look at those things, I think of the modern day today with China. The mass extermination of young girls in that nation. Wow! I believe that God desires to raise up a deliverer in that place. And I I don't know what form that would take. But I believe He's not just raising up one person, but He's raising up a generation in those different nations. We talked about children, women. Nowhere in history have women... Excuse me. Nowhere in history where women... Um, get my note here together. Nowhere in history have women been valued where Jesus is not central to society and culture. You can't look at one culture historically where Jesus has not been on the scene. His philosophy, His Gospel has not infused and penetrated that culture. There will be a devaluing of women in that place. Look at religions around the world. Women are viewed as property. Not just second class citizens. I mean, the, the lowest of the low. They're believed, they're just looked at, uh, the perspective is that they're the workforce, they're to make it happen, they're to uh, continue, you know, the, the, the family name and, and whatnot in terms of birthing children. In most countries, or in many countries, they are viewed as property, goods to be serviced for the pleasure of men. Where attempts have been made to value women without Jesus, like in America, those attempts to produce greater freedom have eventually turned into exploitation. 
we see that very clearly. We've sought to try and give greater and greater freedoms to women, but as we have turned away from Christ, it has now come and turned into exploitation of women. The sick and the diseased. In an efficient and capitalistic society that's driven by greed and the love of money and materialism, the sick and the diseased should be removed to provide greater economic opportunity for future generations. It's like we're spending too much on these people that are sick and diseased. Let's just take them out early. Kevorkian. Assisted suicide. We don't want to have to spend and pay the money for these. We don't want to have to sacrifice for these different ones. Jesus comes to place value on these people. Social outcasts. Due to physical and mental differences. Parents of Down syndrome, autistic children are more and more being encouraged to abort their quote-unquote abnormal children as if we're the normal ones. But the undercurrent of these things, of course, is um, the, the philosophy, the ideology of, of uh, evolution that is so prevalent in our culture. When you have an undercurrent in, in philosophically in a culture where the newest and the, and the, the best uh, technologically, whatever, the latest and greatest, that is the best. That is the thing to be valued the most. And so the older and the eldest among us, they would be considered, because uh, according to an evolutionary philosophy, they would be considered the least valuable. They're dead weight. They're expendable. I love how Luke depicts Jesus as the great physician. Jesus stands to protect the innocent. He, he draws in the outcast. Ultimately, He's going to lay down His life on the cross of torture for all of mankind. I love this because we, we see that He dies so that we might live. He's broken so that we could be healed. This is our King. This is our Lord. He was poured out so that we could truly live. Not just this life here on earth right now, but life everlasting. The very end here of... This and we'll get there sometime here in a couple months. But chapter 24, verse 49, Jesus says some of his final words to his disciples that they would go and proclaim is that there is forgiveness of sins for all who turn to me. There's forgiveness of sins for all who will turn to Jesus. This is a healing on the deepest level, the deepest core of the human existence. The big picture, everything points to Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. But again, as we're going through this, please, and as you're reading on your own, reading with your families and discovering these things together, keeping that question in mind, who do you say that I am? Who do you say 
that I am. So buckle up. This is going to be fun adventure together. And uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this as we navigate Luke's gospel together as a community. Uh, I believe it's going to be a lot of fun. Amen.